Welcome to Becoming Church, the podcast where we discuss how the message and movement of Jesus is not just about becoming Christians, but about becoming the church. I'm your host, Kristen Mockler-Young, and I'm so glad you are joining the conversation. <laughs> All right, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. So I'm already laughing because I have an actual friend here today. It is Antoine Malone. Antoine, Yo, welcome what's to the up? show. What's up? What's up? Hey, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be in a conversation with Kristen. It's been several months since I've since I've had the pleasure of chatting with Kristen. And so I am blessed just to hear your voice. Thank you so much wow. for inviting me to the show. You are an amazing person. Love to follow you. Oh gosh. Well, thank you, man. I need to just, everybody needs to come on and start their <laughs> interviews like that. That's, That's awesome. incredible. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's perfect. Yeah. So Antoine and I actually, a few months ago at the Mosaics National Conference, we co-hosted together, I guess, the yeah, online I think, experience. I think we can call it that. Yeah. We co-hosted together. So the, us the, and Marcus, he's going to be on the show too. Yeah, but we basically spent days together just doing essentially this. Essentially this. Yeah, you were you were out there talking to people on the streets. I was just trying to keep Marcus moving a little bit. He was he was in it though, man. Marcus <laughs> Marcus Lloyd, uh, you guys will get a chance to meet him um if you haven't yeah, already, soon. but soon. Yeah, but uh yeah, yeah, he's he's great guys. Again, I was in good company. I I didn't I don't know that you guys needed me all that much. You guys were you guys were killing it. No, you're great. Listen, we were a great little trio and we had fun. That's what we're going to do today here too. Yeah. Yeah. Let's we're going to have some fun. All right. So you're, you are on staff at a church, right? That's correct. Yes. I, I am the young adult pastor at Bentry Bible Fellowship in Carrollton, Texas. Um, okay. I recently joined staff um, in December of 2022. And so it's a little bit of a new role. The role is new, but the ministry in my Passion and ministry for young adults is not new. I've been doing that for close to 10 years. Um, it's weird because with COVID, it's almost like you take yeah. a couple of years out, right? And so your brain doesn't hear. So it's probably 10 or 11 years, but it feels like like nine or eight. But yeah, but been doing it for quite some time. Okay, so young adult is a term that I think people throw around, okay? And so I'm looking at myself here in this Zoom screen and my brain knows that I'm a grand millennial. Like I'm not young but i hear young adult and i'm still like that's me but i'm our young well, adult you're welcome to like... join us at any time <laughs> and and by the way i am not I, I don't fit into the qualifier but this is the question like what is a young adult is the question yeah. that's most often asked and most often gotten wrong in my opinion at least that's the way i talk about it because okay it, it, because a lot of people what will happen is sometimes people who are younger let's say 18 to 24 or college aged when they hear young adult, many of them think, oh, I'm not quite an adult yet. So they're thinking young professional, Older. 25 to 35. And then there's other people, uh, and I've gotten emails from both sides of this spectrum in the role that I'm in now that say, oh, young adult is the college age people. Um, I'm not that. <laughs> and so I'm something else. And so let me, and so I, and so I have to make videos and, and FAQ things, but let me offer my definition. Young adult Please. is- is the is is the axis of uh, is time and life stages, and so um, everything in between graduating high school and uh, young family 
to me fits in that space of young adult. Mm -hmm. And as long as you add to it, the age range of 18 to 35-ish, around 35 Oh, okay. So if you say 18 to 35-ish is the age category, and in the life stage that's in between graduating high school and young family. So that includes single, that includes, um, I like to say, nearly married or dating or engaged, uh, newly married, and it's pretty much uh, married without children. And, And then once children show up, then um, you are out of my purview because the church does such a great job of focusing on young families. Most churches, that's the primary demographic for their ministry uh, strategies. And so we really don't need a duplicate effort there. People are being served well in that space. So that's how I like to categorize young adult. Graduated high school to young, uh, to young family. Antoine, that is a range that like 18 to 30. Listen, when I teach, I'm teaching to adults. Like I know I've got men and women and you've got a variety of ages, but I know I'm speaking to adults. Like an 18 year old, I'm not sure their brain is fully functioned yet. That it isn't, but now maybe a, the 35 year olds too. I don't know. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if you want to go get stuff done, a lot of times you need to like with energy, a lot of times you need to do that with that 18 to 24. I like to say, um, 18 to 24 is, uh, again, these are categories. And so not everyone sure. fits into these categories, but um, 18, 24 is typically trying to find a way to spend energy. Uh, 20, once you turn 25 and you go up, some in, in, in many ways, you're trying to figure out how to conserve or replenish right. energy. <laughs> so it's the difference between volleyball 18 to 24 and a coffee jazz night happy hour uh, for the young professional. And um, it's actually a pretty interesting uh, ministry strategy dynamic as you think about your calendars. Um, so when you think about the time of the calendar and you also think about the demographic, what kind of events are you doing? Do they give people energy? Do they require more energy? And sometimes that can help you with some of those younger ages or older ages. But um, yeah, that's one of many distinctions. Okay. But it's okay. But it, but it does it it does cover a that is a wide range and multiple life stages in between those ranges. And uh, we like to say multiple starting points. Uh, so you're moving from graduating high school to the post high school era. You're moving from college era to professional era. You're moving from single era to married era. Possibly. And so all yeah. those create yeah. rites of passage or starting points that we can help people bring the gospel into. So that's kind of what we do. I think as every generation changes, right? As, as I mean, just as every generation changes, I think that young adults often are one of the most misunderstood groups of people, especially that like 18 to 24 range, maybe even all high schoolers, maybe even a little bit, you know, that's a loose age bracket there. Um, What is a misconception that you think people have about this current generation of young adults? Well, um, so I'll I'll answer the question for Gen Z and for elder millennials, I think, or uh, or maybe it should be younger millennials, but so you, you say generation, but it's a little bit of both of those. Sure. Uh, I think one of the misconceptions is that, um, one, a big one is that they have a lot of time and that's regardless. That's just, a um, young adults don't have as much time as, as you think they do. And it's interesting to talk about it this way, because I was talking with my daughter the other day and I was explaining this and, uh, and she's how old? My daughter's 17, right? Okay. And so I was talking to her and I was like, okay, um, 
imagine going through life and you're learning how to juggle, right? And so when you're in high school, you're learning how to juggle three things, right? Three balls. Uh, and those balls for this metaphor is like school, work, mm-hmm. and um, cheerleading. Friends, relationships. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever whatever your three or four things are. And then you, you, you know, you're, you're figuring out how to do that. Stuff is dropping, and, but you finally find and figure out, uh, you get a rhythm. And then you graduate and someone throws in another ball. And so you got to learn how to reorient yourself and kind of learn to juggle another thing. And so you're doing that. And then someone throws in like a bowling ball, which is another, which is a whole different kind of thing. And okay. So after the, after the juggling, um, time is like this. And so when you get older, you got family, you got career, you got kid, you're juggling like seven balls, a couple bowling balls, some bowling pins. And you're looking at the young adult who's juggling three, four, five things. And you're like, you can, you should be able to carry more. What you're missing is that the young adult is just now learning how to juggle five or six things. And for them, they're in high tension mode because they're adjusting to that. And so they really don't have time to add more things. They're learning how to do this. And so it looks like they have more time because of how we manage our time and our energy. But a lot of those, a lot of, a lot of the young adults, they don't feel like they have that extra time um, to do that. And so um, I think that's one of the, the biggest misconceptions. Um, if I can get another one, another big misconception is, I think, especially with Christian young adults, uh, how they want to interface um, with the world. My philosophy is that JIT boomers uh, kind of look at the world through um, a, a fundamental question. So for them, I think the fundamental question is many questions, but the fundamental question was what's going to happen when you die? And so okay. everything that they were doing was really focused, focused on how do you deal with, with, with what's going to happen when you die? You saw that with the Billy Graham movement, a lot of the gospel and evangelistic movements that we saw from the boomers, lots of, lots of, lots of really, really great fruit from that focal first conversation. But when you get to millennials, we're just going to skip Gen X because nobody talks about Gen X. <laughs> But but when you get to millennials, millennials aren't asking that as their fundamental question. Their fundamental question, in my opinion, is do you love me anyway? And oh, wow. it's not so much about the soteriological conversation about what happens when we die. They want to know what are you going to do? Do you love me now? And the key word in that is anyway. And, and that's a fundamental change of the conversation, right? And so when boomers are talking to millennials, they're wanting to talk about the the high spiritual soteriological that level of thing, but the millennials are, are they they see that and they see value there. But their primary question is, "Do you love me anyway?" It's the difference between John three with Nicodemus and Jesus's conversation with Nicodemus, which is really, you know, mental and intellectual and yeah. and, and spiritual. And then you jump over to John four and the woman at the well. He's saying. There's a connection thing here, and you've had five husbands. And Jesus interfaces with those two conversations differently, still moves them toward the spirit, but interfaces with them differently because he understands his audience. And I think the the two generations miss each other because they don't, they're trying to have a Nicodemus conversations with women at the well, and they're wondering why they're not uh, sticking with it. And so it creates a, creates a disconnect, a fundamental disconnect, which could lead to, which can lead to distrust. Um, and, uh, which I think we see a lot of, and then Gen Z, their fundamental question, in my opinion, is does it work? And so for them, it's a hyper-practical, uh, they've seen everything not work well. And so Mm -hmm. I think Gen Z is, 
neutralized almost everything and all institutions and ideas are up for defending themselves. No, nothing has benefit of the doubt. And so that includes Christianity and um, the Bible. And their fundamental question is, yeah, but but does it actually work? Can I can I trust it? And I think um, understanding the different conversations can get around misassigning motives to those generations. That's a really, really valid point that every generation is asking a different question and looking for a different thing. And I think too, that's why a lot, you said we're going to skip Gen X. I think that's why a lot of parents right now though, though, because they are caught between boomers and millennials. And so they're like, all right, well, I was raised to believe this. Right. And so all of, all of, I was parented in a way of, you know, I'm broad brush here, but like, I think a lot of current parents of young kids, they're like, well, I was parented to always think eternal and heaven and hell and whatever. And then, yes, they're trying to talk to these millennials who say, but what about this life? And what about me now? And, 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 and when you think it's a change, right? Yeah. Like all the cultural conversations that are being had are really questions around, do you love me anyway? Or say it differently. Can I disqualify myself from your love? So if I'm black or if, if I, if my, does, does my race disqualify me from you loving me? Does my gender disqualify you from loving me? Like Jesus, does my, does my lifestyle, uh, my life choices do that? Uh, does my so- social economic status, um, does my sickness, you know, yeah. does my burden on you cause you to not like? So almost all the cultural conversations leading into the political conversations are, are questions about value, which is what's important to millennials and Gen Z. But millennials particularly brought, hey, do you value me? Do Am I somebody who you, yeah, who you want to build into, who you're willing to spend and and the, and the generation before us misunderstand misunderstood the importance of that question to that generation, um, yeah. and started to say, oh, "You guys are just too feely. You're too emotional, right?" And they started to um, disparage those that starting point for the conversation because it wasn't hyper theologically academic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in in this other space, and it was more. How do we love people? How do we connect with people? Where's my, where's, where's the community? We love Jesus because of how he impacted people as he walked the earth. You love Jesus because of the impact he had on people after he left the earth. And, yeah. and the gospel makes space for all of that. So it's, it's beautiful. Everyone, the gospel can be part of all those conversations, but uh, understanding the context is so important in our ministries and understanding. Well, I'm even sitting here thinking, starts. Antoine, I'm like, I remember growing up and everything was about God, right? God, 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 because it was all future. It was all after we die. It was all God. And I feel like lately, I didn't even realize this till we were sitting here having this conversation. I feel like now or lately, it's been a lot more Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And yes, they're essentially the same. But I wonder if that's why. I wonder if that's been the language shift, because instead of thinking and focusing on this God who will one day and is far off and, you know, we choose to believe in, we have been focusing more on a Jesus who is God with us, but a Jesus who understands us in our present now. Yeah. Um, and that's something that this generation can relate more to. I think so. I think so. There's a, there's a idea that I have about the term amazing grace, which kind of yeah. encapsulates this conversation. So um, the writers of the writer of amazing grace um, is living in a time period where everything 
that you got what was at the work of your hands like you you had like had a farm you had to get up early you, you worked from the morning to night and it took effort and sweat you didn't get hardly anything unless you worked for it unless you okay unless you unless you went and got it and then someone told you and said hey the best thing you could ever want is going to be given to you for free right and so if you're living in a world where everything costs you energy time effort and someone says the best thing is free, that is indeed amazing. And so um, yeah. grace is amazing. And it's no wonder that you sit on that as a, as a psychological generational profile. Uh, but then you come forward to an, an environment where there's a lot of convenience, fast food, um, lots of lots of people. Uh, it's not aboriginal or extraordinary for someone to do something that you benefit from that you didn't earn. And so right. grace from the standpoint of, someone's going to do something for me feels less amazing, um, if you will, to a generation where that is a normal occurrence. What doesn't feel, what doesn't feel normal and ordinary is the sacrificial nature of living for someone else and doing and being a part of providing that grace to others. That still feels, since you're in a, in an environment where you're used to receiving grace, being a part of, giving grace and providing grace and love for other people now becomes the amazing thing. And so it is, it's, it's not just amazing grace. Now it's a, it's still amazing grace, but it's amazing grace, not from the work done to me, but the work done, done, uh, done through, through me um, to others. And the yeah. millennial, I believe that the millennial generation, as well as I would say, even the Gen X and even some of the alpha that's coming along, I, I think they're more on that space because because grace feels less amazing. And I know it feels like sacrilegious to say- No, you just blew my mind. But No, I that's not, I don't think it's sacrilegious at all. I think it's it's brilliant to be able to go, hey, let's, let's look at things from a different perspective and understand instead of just getting mad and, you know, the youths that are wilding out or right. don't get it or whatever. No, let's understand and ask the question, why don't they get it? And that's exactly what you did. Antoine, that's- that was beautiful. That was lovely. That was that's so great. It's been really well, helpful and, for my for my dealing with people and and it creating orientation. It's not like missions. You go to another country and you understand yeah. what's going on in that country, find the redemptive analogies, and you speak the gospel to to them in their context. Like I say, ministry is a context sport, and you go and you context how how what. Do, how do they see the world? What are their challenges? What do they want to achieve? Where does the gospel intersect that? Um, and allowing the spirit to really speak into that and not assuming that their your experience is their experience and um, and that the things that drew you are going to draw them. And, and that's that's the work that we, I, I think we can continue to do better and better gener- uh, through multiple, multiple generational ministry. Yeah, well, even, even when I taught kindergarten, you know, there was always right like the set way like this is how you teach kids how to read and then i was lucky to be teaching in a time where we realized that we had to actually differentiate because not every kid could learn to read the same way because everybody's brain doesn't work the same way and i think when we think about it in that context it's easier to go no it's not that they don't get it or that they're wrong how are we going to teach jesus to people in a way that they will understand maybe it's not how we learned it but yeah. that doesn't actually matter. It's not the method. It's not, but how are, how can we explain it in a way that they will get? Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Isn't that what Paul says? He's like, I became, I, to the weak I became weak, to the stronger I became strong. I, you know, I, yeah. 
to the Jew, I became the Jew. Like he says, I do all this so that I might win. I become all things to all people so that I might win some. And yeah. that is, it, that's not a compromise. That's just taking a second to, uh, to think about, is this Nicodemus I'm talking to here? Or is this the woman at the well? Yeah. Oh, Nicodemus has got this whole rich legacy about, about the law. And, um, and, and I'm gonna throw a few riddles at him. <laughs> the woman at the well oh wait she's had all these husbands and she's looking for connection um let me explain to her that the thing that she's looking for is fulfilled in the very same thing i, I offer nicodemus right the same spirit right they yeah. both get the spirit as the answer to the quandary but but the conversation shifts based on who he's talking to and, and when that happens um amazing things happen yeah it's loving to think of the person first before we Absolutely. come at them with our information. Absolutely. All right. So you posted a video, something to the effect of like a million young adults are leaving the church every year. Why is that? Are you, what are you seeing and hearing from them, you know, on why they're leaving, why they're exiting? Well, one of the most interesting, yeah. So it's, so if you think about the numbers for that, it's about 2,740 a day, right? So you, by the a end day. Of the a day, like you, 2,740 times numbers are big. 365. That's almost a million. Yeah. So you okay. think by the end of this day, you know, if the numbers are tracking this way, you know, two, two over 2,000 people may have decided they no longer want to be a part of the church, a church family, maybe even the faith altogether. Yeah. I think uh, that that's a big question that requires a lot of, um, a lot of interrogation. I would say one of the most surprising things about that statistic is. Um, the nuns, which is a category uh, of people who have decided that they don't affiliate with any uh, religious, uh, they don't have any religious affiliation. Just N-O-N-E, nun, yes. not yeah, N-U-N, yeah, not the, not yeah, the ladies not the, from The Sound of Music. Not, yes, okay. <laughs> not not Whoopi Goldberg and them, but that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Oh man, I'm going to go and watch Sister Act now. You got me on it. So, but, uh, but anyway, but no, so, but what's interesting is that group of people are mostly made up of people who are hyperactive in the church. So a lot of people, the misconception on that is that, oh, these are people who they, they weren't really part of us anyway. But when you go and you look at the nuns, almost all of them were leaders, uh, people who uh, went on mission trips, people who vol volunteered regularly. Uh, and somewhere along their journey, they got disenchanted with church or church life uh, for a series of reasons, and they left. So the nuns are not the people who are on the edges of our Christian community. The nuns are the people who are closest to the inner circles of our community, especially the young adults, which asks us to, um, which which sort of begs the question, what in the world is happening yeah. at a national level that has caused people who would normally give high levels of sacrifice of their energy, time, and, and money to decide that this is no longer something um, for them. And I would say one of the reasons that, uh, in a nutshell, is the witness of the church has has just faded. And the uh, young adults, um, most young adults in any generation at any time throughout history, almost everybody, you want to make the world a better place fundamentally. You want to fix something. You generally look at the generation before you, they've done something that you didn't like, and you want to fix that. You want to make the world better fundamentally, Christian or non-Christian. Uh, and, and you're looking for the things that are going to help you make the world better. And when it comes to Christian young adults, at the end of the day, is the gospel something that actually makes the world a better place? Does it make the, does it, does it allow me to love people well? Can I love people better? Can I grow in my love for people? I mean, as believers, the 
the boundaries of our love for people should only be increasing day to day, right? I don't know that there's no boundary to it. It should, we should be challenging ourselves. How do I love more like Jesus today? How do I love more like Jesus tomorrow? Next year, my love should be more than it was this year. And the love should be getting wider, not getting smaller. And okay. I think that the, the generation is looking at the church and saying, I'm not sure the love is getting wider. I see us getting more exclusive. I see us picking who we love and know we don't, who we don't love. I see us demonizing people instead of yeah. fighting principalities. And regardless of whether you agree or disagree with their assertions, it's a wide level perspective. I'll say this. A lot of people say, yeah, but they're sensitive or they're they're casting that they're they're saying that the church is the problem when they just ran into one or two really bad Christians. I would say two things to that. Number one, it's not one or two Christians. Mm-hmm. More than likely, this is the product of several. Again, these are highly invested people. So by the time they left the church, they go into a season of dystopia and sort of identity crisis. That's not something that they would choose for themselves naturally. It isn't a happy journey to leave the church. It is a... Right. It is Especially a, if you've been highly committed. That's right. It's an identity right. crisis. Yeah, it's like, okay, right. I, I, I did 70 interviews. Uh, with people across the country about why they might leave the church. And many of the persons in those interviews were people who were on their way to seminary and on their way, they saw themselves as missionaries or pre- or doctors, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, ministers, uh, potential pastors. And when they decided to change their direction, they didn't know what they were going to do with their life because their whole life they figured would be ministry to church, 25, all the way up to mid thirties with that. It's not an easy choice that people are making. And yeah. so we shouldn't trivialize those choices. Right. The second thing I would say um, to uh, all of that, this, this concept of, of why they're leaving, um, is that Jesus told us that this is the case. We don't get to say, oh, well, some Christians did that to them. And so it wasn't us and it's their problem. Jesus said, people are going to have a problem with me and the things that I'm doing if you don't love one another. That's what Jesus said. He didn't say each individual will call out each individual and you can only deal with the person who's in front of you. And no, no, no. He says the world is watching how Christians generally are treating other Christians generally and my name and message and reputation and kingdom ethic and acceptance that is on the line when they watch Christians mistreat other Christians. Um, That's not someone who's being sensitive. Jesus foretold that. So you don't have to like that. Those of you who 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 want to exonerate yourself from this conversation because you feel like you weren't part of the problem, but Jesus says it doesn't matter whether you were the infraction or not. If we see if people see Christians misbehave, just like He says, if you let your light so shine before men, they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It works both ways, and and we haven't protected our witness enough. We've uh, we've been driven by fear, and there's a whole other conversation. But I do think that's the major reason why. Um, I think no, get in there, really get in there. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk to the people who think that they're not part of the problem, which I'm sure is not our listeners at all. It's not you guys, but maybe you shared this with somebody. Who well, I'm sure I'm part of the you. problem. Somebody. Yeah, like but, I'm, I'm always checking myself as well with, with this thing. Yeah. Well, and I that's what I'm saying. Like, what do we do? Yeah, well, the policy's gotten away, I think. Yeah. I think um, as everyone started to feel more uncertainty about the future, we retreated to our old survivalist selves. And in the survivalist game, the winners are the powerful and the rich and the control and the popular. 
uh, and the so those who have the social currencies um, that keep them from being eaten in the sort of civilized jungle of our society. That's the uh, and and the church decided to grab that playbook and use politics for power, use economy for for money, and we chose to protect ourselves because we forgot that God has given us eternal life. We thought maybe we needed to go find it again and get it from our, with our power and our other stuff. The, the, the Christian is able to sacrifice life, money, power, because life has already been given to them. Yeah. It's the reason why Jesus could give his life away. People say, well, Jesus gave life away. I've heard this. Jesus, Jesus gave life away. He knew he was going to raise from the dead. Well, good. You too are going to raise from the dead. God's going to raise you after this life. And so you too can pick up your cross and follow. Oh, if that's a mm-hmm. great way, if that's what he was able to do, his perspective was such that, okay, I have eternal life. I don't have to fight for survival. So now God, whatever you want to do with my life, that's going to be on mission for you and do what is good. Do that. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to be a part of that purpose. We didn't do that. Once we were offered some opportunity to sacrifice, we chose survival, not sacrifice. And I think well, the world watched a Jesus people put down a cross instead of pick up a cross. And they said, that doesn't look like Jesus. Yeah. And it is, it's fear. It's weird when, when things are uncertain, when they're out of our control, I think it's fear that pushes us to, you know, survivalist methods and all of these things. And like you said, that was really, that was a really great point that like, if, if we already know that we're going to be resurrected again, then we don't need to live with that fear. And whatever the thing is that's holding us back and keeping us from living like Jesus fully, that's now that's now our master. That's now the thing that we're worshiping. If we are choosing to be afraid of that instead of going, hey, I already know how this story ends. That's right. You know? The lie of the enemy is that death is the end. Jesus yeah. said death, physical death. Physical death is not the end. What does it mean to say you've defeated death? It's more than poetry. It's, it's yeah. you no longer have to fight you don't have to spend your gifts for your own personal survival. And, and what is it? It looks like so many things to, to be in that survival mode. And, and um, uh, man, we, we just have, I feel like there's a good bit of people who haven't, who are still working. Like um, it's not everyone, but the loudest voices um, are the voices who are still playing the power games and the money games and the fame games and they're doing it. They're trying to baptize it. They're baptizing it in Jesus, trying to trying to say that it's a holy a holy thing, a holy war, or some sort of sanctimonious. When in reality, it is you're you're you're, you're leveraging Christ for power and for um, well for social and earthly survival. And yeah. listen, I know that 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 concept is like very abstract. And um, very difficult for me to get my head around as I think through it, right? What does it really mean to live that way? Um, but um, I think Jesus invites us into that very challenge. I think that's a part of what it means to become more and more like Jesus every day, is to live more and more into the reality that my life is yours, God, to do with what you will at any given moment. And I'm looking for opportunities to give myself away uh, for other people. Uh, if we're going to play a game, Paul says, I'll do one another in honor, right? If we're going, if we're going to, if we're going to play a game, if we're, we're going to compete, compete yeah. right? If we're going to compete, let's figure out how we can honor each other the best. Who's going to be the first? 
who's going to be the best at honoring other people and, and building into the value um, of other people. That's the sort of thing that Romans 12 pulls us into. It's not something that we um, that we often do. One last picture is with that is Romans 12. He says, uh, be a living sacrifice. It's kind of a lamb. The picture is like this lamb that's been bloody that gets off the altar and goes home and then comes back the next day to be sacrificed again. And yeah. it, the idea is that you're living sacrifice, not a one-time sacrifice, but a life of sacrifice, a ongoing, repeated giving of oneself away for the other. And he says, once you do that by being transformed by the renewing of your mind, moved from that survivalist mindset into this sacrificial and, and sanctified mindset, then you can know the will of God, his good and perfect will, right? And that's when you get invited into what God is really doing with you and your life and the, and the influence that you have. So um, I think a lot of people are looking for that. And those people who are closer to the church are looking to see that in, in the church. They didn't see that. And I think it caused the wires to burn a little bit on in the inside. Yeah. Well, even thinking about the the things that the different generations they're looking for, Antoine, you are very intentional in racial reconciliation and having conversations as well. And I do think that this is something that maybe this is a stereotype. Maybe this is true. You can tell me, I would say it seems as though the younger generations care about this more than perhaps the older ones do. Um, is there a particular way that we can either engage young adults in race and justice conversations, or maybe on the flip side, learn from them as far as how to better do this? Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, because of the reasons I gave you, because of the pragmatism of Gen Z and the love question, uh, uh, the value question that millennials are, are driven by, I think they're more inclined to um, pursue those sort of, if you will, justice, those um, caring for other people well kind of deals. Uh, I think we could humble ourselves, older generations. I think we can humble ourselves a little bit and invite them into our spaces. And I think there's a lot of space to learn from them and not in a patronizing kind of way. Like sometimes I hear that from stages and I don't believe the person that said that because I believe that person would invite persons in, hear them out, and then pat them on the head and say, you're such a great little thinker. It's like asking your, 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 your child to come in the room and help you with the budget. And she might have some really great ideas. It may even <laughs> surprise you with a little profundity, but you're not at all going to take that advice. You're just going to do what you do. And I and inviting people in is not that. I'm not saying you just come in to make a cute show and be clever. We're saying, no, there's some blind spots that we have about how to love people well, right? I keep coming back to this love thing about how to love people well. And there's That's something okay, Jesus about what- did too, it's all right. He, he kept coming <laughs> back to it, yeah. And But there's something about how you want to love people that is different than our instincts. Teach us about that. Where can we help you with that? Where What have you seen as missed that has been missed? And, and you hope that both parties come with that kind of humility because the boomer generation, the Gen X generations have a lot to offer as well. Um, the other thing I would say is to stop for, this sounds really aggressive. Well, I'm just going to say it as an imperative. Come on. Stop <laughs> acting Stop acting like uh, millennials are all that, that much different than you. Let's just do a quick little check for boomers. I say this to them all the time. Millennials actually hate when I say this too, because I'm like, hey, you're on track to be a boomer. And I know you don't like that. But, <laughs> but boomers, if you think about it, when they were 20, right? Okay. That's probably in the 60s and 70s. 
uh, what was going on, right? Race, race conversations, women's rights, um, yeah, racial rights. You had uh, drugs, you had sex, you had rainbows, you had protests, you had yeah. activism, you had the want for freedom, right? You had political turmoil. Um, the boomers were the first millennials. They're the original millennial. Like when you really think about it, if you put Twitter and you put TikTok and all those things in the 60s and 70s with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and and, yeah. and, and the Black Panthers and the suffrage movement and all that, it doesn't look that much different than right now. It still that, works. That generation was protesters. It's a whole generation of protesters, a whole generation of people who wanted to, who couldn't trust the, the, the institutions that were around them because the institutions had locked into things that were antiquated. And so take a second, take a deep breath and remember that you're actually not that different than millennials. Remember what that was like and look to form a connection instead of instead of pulling, pushing people away. It turns out there's a pretty interesting mirror image between the 20-year-old millennial and the 20-year-old boomer. Why do you think that some boomers don't see that? Do you think that maybe they see it, but they think that the millennial is on the wrong side? Like they've, they're doing giving the wrong answer? Like, why do you think this is hard to see? I don't know. I think when we get older, we... <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't have a great answer. But what I want to say okay. is when you, get, when you get older, you look back and you're like, as you leave one era, you just kind of you know, you outgrow it or you, uh, you know, you decide that you're a different person, you grow into something else. That's why I say millennials, I wouldn't be surprised at all if millennials take a similar approach to whatever follows Gen Alpha. I guess it's Gen yeah. Beta. I don't know if Beta is a word now. Beta is bad, I'm sure, in some of our social <laughs> Nobody wants to be a Beta, right? But, uh, <laughs> but whatever follows Alpha, like, it's potentially true that millennials are going to look at that generation and be like, Man, they don't know what they're doing. And uh -huh. they're, they're naive, they're this, right? You know, and getting older um can produce that kind of dissonance. And I also think that the older you get, the less filters you have. And so you get less yeah. filters and you're less likely to change your mind. So you say whatever you want to say and, and you think less about, <laughs> about how it affects people, and you're not right. open to mind to changing your mind, and that could create some really difficult conversations and self-realization and self-reflection that that some people just seem to outlive. I hope I never do that. I don't want to be one of those one of those persons that is not always self-reflecting in some way. Yeah, I think the the idea of constantly learning by constantly listening and like you just said always having an open mind to other perspectives is going to be the key. Like yeah. no matter your age. Yeah. All right, so going back to the nuns, what should churches and pastors do in order to better reach them or to effectively like bring them back? Um I think challenging conversation, uh, challenging um, sermons. Well, okay, so 18 to 30, um, it's a little bit different with age. This is where age makes a little bit of a difference here. Sure. Um, so 18 to 24, you're in a life, you're, you're in a situation where uh, you're trying to figure out life and you really kind of want to be challenged when you think about college and anything post-college like one of the really one of the things that really make them formative is you join a sorority you join you join a family that you choose right and you join and there's usually a father figure uh somewhere or mother figure somewhere that is helping you grow a teacher that you really connect to a coach who comes in yeah. and those persons challenge you 
they challenge you from the space of saying, we care about you and we want you to be a better you. And you receive that uh, as value. And um, the church has either ignored that group uh, in a lot of ways, as far as what they need. They decided to leverage the group for their individual purposes instead of deciding to grow that group, be part of their discipleship in really intentional and personal ways. Um, and so they either ignored or um, they decided to be like, they threw volleyball and pizza at them yeah. uh, instead, of, instead of challenging them into growth into and setting a, a very yes and setting a clear goal and expectation uh that i'm going to walk with you and that we're going to mm-hmm. grow um together so um in some ways it's listening and recognizing those persons when you do that you're going to get a set of things it's like man we need to minister to these people in these ways and most churches don't have a strategy at all for young adult ministry and um and that's because it's very difficult Um, there's not a lot of books and a lot of resources for that, but I would say, Hey, don't just haphazardly jump into young adult ministry, do your research, understand your, again, it's just context. These are the things they taught us in in seminary. It's not that different. It's just a mission field. Do what you would do at a mission field, figure out what the lay of the land looks like. Where can you intersect that? What needs need to be addressed? Where does the spirit, where's the gospel intersect with their needs? Come up with a strategy and begin to invite people into that strategy and mission and vision. Give people things to do, give things to be a part of, um, and don't throw your crumbs or your pizza or your volleyball at them. <laughs> just try to pacify young adults into yeah. their next phase of life. Yeah. Um, average age of getting, I gave you the range of young married with children yeah. as the end of young adult phase. That used to be around 27 on average. Right. So you would you would say young adults are 18 to 27, which is a big range. Sure. Now that range is 18 to like 31. Average age of okay. having kids is 31. So if you are if your mentality toward young adults is we're just going to pacify them until they begin uh, become a young family. Well, multiple multiple trends are not in your favor. One, marriage with family happens later. 31, yeah. that's that's 12 years. Two, marriage is happening later. Three, yeah. A lot of lot of parents don't want kids because it's so expensive to have kids. So they're they're choosing pets instead of children, and uh, because it's because it's so expensive right now. And yeah. so, um, if you're waiting for the young family to show up, you're you're probably going to be waiting for a long time. It's time for you to think about directly ministering to young adults in your main services as well as uh, potentially a young adult ministry uh, focused area inside of your church. Uh, if that makes sense. So I'll just say act with some intention around that stuff. Yeah, that's good. All right. So the last question kind of piggybacks off of that, but goes more, more practical for the listener. So you just gave us a lot of ways, um, things that churches and pastors and staffers and leaders can do right for the person that's listening that might go, well, I don't know any young adults and I don't have any young adults in my life. What can they do practically? What is a simple step? What's the thing that they can do to become the church to those people that are that are actually around them. Um. Well, there are some ways to interface with where young adults are. It's it's important to not walk into this with a project kind of mentality, but um, very good point. But building but building a proximity, getting the biggest the biggest. Uh, uh, 
hurdle to what you what you just described is I don't have young adults around me. Yeah. Um, well, how does that change? <laughs> or do you expect them to show up in your world or will you have to find yourself somehow in theirs? And uh, so I think looking for that um, is important. I think mentorship is an important thing. I think asking um, high school pastors, and if you're at a church, a student pastor or a high school pastor, hey, is there somebody, I, I would like to be a mentor is what you might show up if you're interested in something like that. And you say, hey, I would love to sit down with a couple of people. Is there somebody who it, who you know of that's going to be in this area that that might be able to help what I'm doing, uh, or that I might be able to help with a mentorship? Um, and you could start that with very practical stuff. Young business people are looking for business mentors. And so you start there, yeah. but bring, bring, the, bring the scriptures into that, bring the gospel into that, or whatever whatever the mentorship uh, may, may, may be. But I like the idea of centering the mentorship around uh, life life skills and bringing the gospel to that life skill. Uh, the life skill is the first connection point. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's something I think you could do, again, working with that student pastor. There's student pastors in your church who know the students that are still here. They're probably still showing up in the high school ministry <laughs> <laughs> because they have nowhere else to go. And so, yeah. it, and so they kind of show up. And so, you know, asking where you can be of help, showing up in certain types of ways, um, and consistently working on your heart to say, I'm going to see these young people as image bearers of God for whom God has created with specific purpose. And that would be a blessing to me and to others. Um, yeah. Scripture says that all parts of the body are um, are uh, indispensable. That includes young adults. Young adults yeah. are an indispensable part of the body. So if you can start to think about it that way, then that means they've got something for you. They've got there's a blessing that, uh, from God waiting for you with them. So go with, yeah. go with that mindset and um, and interface with them, not with a power dynamic but with their interest of of growing and walking alongside them. Yeah. And I think you might be, be able to connect with one or two. Uh, yeah. Ago. I mean, and it's relationship. I think the idea of mentorship maybe even could scare somebody, but it doesn't have to be that hard. Like, listen, food. Like you invite somebody into your Ooh, house. There it. are plenty of young adults at our church. And I Easy. guarantee you, if I called up any of them, we're like, hey, do you want to come have dinner? I'm not throwing you my pizza, but do you want to come into my house with my family? And have dinner with us. Yeah, they're coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Host is host some game night. Host things like like you're saying. Yeah. Host game nights. Host host summer get-togethers. If you got a fancy yeah. house and you can play movies, host host that. Um, bring bring people together. And but they, like you're saying, you're not throwing pizza at them. What you're doing is the goal is for them to feel seen and cared for and invite them into your life. Yeah, into your life. Yeah. So th those are those are some practical stuff. There's a lot of other practical stuff that could be the product of a whole ministry strategy. Sure. Uh, but for, for an individual person, though, I think you're looking for ways to get proximity, which is what we're describing. Yeah. You're looking for a way to bring these people into your world uh, so that you can learn more about them and how you can help them and so that you can be helped by them. Again, they are a blessing to you as much as you're a blessing to them. Um, Absolutely. your time on earth doesn't add to your blessing quotient. God, God's going to do through them and, to, and through you the same thing. Each person gets to bless the other. So you can yeah. kill the power. I love that. I love that. Antoine, thank you so much for being here. It was great yeah, to chat with you. Me.
So I love fun. it, man. Good luck with the uh, with growing the podcast. Uh, I think you're an amazing communicator and fun personality, and um, I can't wait for the rest of the world to meet you. So I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm, hoping I'm hoping that God will will open up those doors. This is going to be a fun journey to be a part of with you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Listen, guys, Antoine just said, share with the world. We need the world to have the podcast. So just share the episode. <laughs> With maybe even with the boomers that you're that you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> man, they may be mad at me, but uh no, they won't be mad at me. That I think they no, know. it'll be good. <laughs> Antoine is such a fun guy to talk to. Listen, if you're a pastor and you want more information and you want to reach the young adults in your community or the nuns, he also does some consulting work. So scroll down into the show notes and make sure that you reach out to Antoine. Also, if this episode was shared with you, there's a very, very important thing that I want you to know. And that is this, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Typically, we only put episodes out once every other Sunday. However, my next guest had so much to say that I'm actually gonna split it up into two different episodes and you will get part one and part two in the next two weeks. So make sure that you don't miss that. Thank you so much for being here and we'll see you next time.